Hello, and welcome to this episode, which is a one-off episode that I'm doing called How to Create a Home You Love on Any Budget. Whether you're renovating or building new, after all that time, money and effort that you're going to invest to plan, design and build your project, you want it to be somewhere you love living, don't you? That's the whole point, isn't it? Well, in this episode, I've got seven tips when it comes to creating a renovated or new home you love, and I'm going to share with you what these seven tips are and how you can apply them on any budget to create a fantastic home that feels great. And I also want to share some news with you about my online program, How to Get It Right in Your Reno or New Home. If you've been looking at this course for a while, if you've been thinking about joining, sitting on the fence, but you're listening to this podcast before the 1st of October 2019, then you're going to want to hear this important information about my online program, How to Get It Right. So let's dive in. Welcome to Get It Right with the Undercover Architect. This is the podcast all about designing, building or renovating your home. I'm your host, Amelia Lee. Think of me as your secret ally. I am on a mission to help you create a home that makes your life better, whoever you're working with and whatever your dreams, your location or your budget. Together, we'll uncover the nitty gritty of how to get it right and how to create a home that works, feels great and that you feel great in. So join me now. Now, before we get on with these seven tips, I'd like you to first think for a moment about what stresses you about creating your future home. Through Undercover Architect, I've got the privilege of connecting with and speaking with thousands of homeowners uh, on a regular basis uh, across every year. And the fears and the challenges that they experience, they're all very similar. And perhaps these may be familiar to you. Now, the four main fears that I hear, uh, the first one is budget. So can I actually afford to do what I want to do? Uh, How can I know that what it's going to cost and how will I actually prevent the blowouts happening? The second fear is around time and how much time this will take and how you'll fit it into your already very busy life. The third fear is about unknowns and where these unknowns might trip you up. People understand that they don't know what they don't know. And when you research a renovation or building project, you can feel like you're just scratching the surface of all the stuff that you don't know. And that can be really overwhelming. The last fear, though, is by far and away the most common fear I hear. And it's a fear about stuffing it up, about getting it wrong and about having to live long term with the consequences of decisions that you regret. And it's actually where the name of this podcast came from. I used to talk a lot about how to create well-designed homes, how to create homes that work. And I'd have homeowners tell me that they just wanted to get it right. And so that's where Get It Right with Undercover Architect, the podcast name actually came from. Now, Today, in this episode, I want to help you see what mistakes you can avoid and really help you save some of the stress around those four particular fears and help you with what you need to know so that you can actually get it right in the future home that you're creating. Now, if you've listened to Undercover Architect for a while, you'll know this about me. But if this is your first time listening, then it's Amelia here. And I'm a wife and I'm a mum to three young kids. I'm not a wife to three young kids. I'm a wife and comma, and I'm a mum to three young kids, age 12, 10 and 8. And I'm also an architect. 
I'm a registered architect with almost 25 years industry experience in over 250 projects, mostly residential family homes. And I've done a bit of commercial and public work as well. I did a lot of work on the Sydney Olympic site, some fun stuff like that early in my career. Now, my husband and I, we've also done three renovation building projects of our own. Each of our kids actually learnt to climb ladders before they walked. And it was when I was on maternity leave with my eldest and we were doing our second renovation project, I'd actually walked off a large project for a development company I was working for at the time. I was overseeing 150 houses under construction, dealing with builders and tradespeople every day. And then I came home on maternity leave and I was on site with our young son. And, you know, these tradespeople would turn up at our house and they didn't know that I was an architect and I'd be standing there with my son on my hip and my gosh, I got treated differently. And it was really eye-opening for me. You may have heard me tell this story before. It was really pivotal in my career and it's been really pivotal in the reason that Undercover Architect exists because in that moment of how I was treated by those tradespeople and how different it was to what I'd experienced professionally, I really saw what my clients were experiencing, what the average homeowner experiences and how easy it is to be bamboozled and misled. You know, at least I could say I'm an architect, uh, but unfortunately that's not the case for everyone. And I really felt that it could be different, that it should be different and that it can be different. I know now that the key to a successful project is that you, as the homeowner, when you're informed and educated, you can have an incredibly better experience with your project. And you can actually feel confident to have the voice that you need to have to be an active participant in your project, where you don't feel like you're going to be ripped off or taken advantage of. So of course, almost five and a half years ago now, I started Undercover Architect, and it was really to help level the playing field. I really wanted to give access to everyone uh, to, to help you have the professional advice and knowledge and experience that you need to just have a completely different journey in your renovation and building experience. And so, of course, we do this via this podcast. Uh, we've also got the blog on Undercover Architect. We've got our social media platforms. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest. I don't really do Twitter. I uh, can't really contain myself to that short number of characters. <laughs> and of course, we have our online courses as well. So Undercover Architect's all about being your secret ally so that you can get it right when designing, building and renovating your family home. Whoever you're working with and whatever your dreams, your location or your budget. Now let's dive into what you're going to learn in this episode of the podcast. I'm going to be sharing the key characteristics that are common to fantastic homes. In almost 25 years of doing this, I've seen what works and what doesn't. And over the long term, definitely, I get the benefit of seeing and speaking to clients and families that I've helped, you know, almost two decades ago and uh, seeing what their homes are performing like now and how those homes have survived different stages of life and different families as well. So I'm going to be sharing my proven methods to make your future homework for you with all the choices that you'll be needing to make. You'll then actually know what to prioritize and what to avoid and ultimately how you can create a renovated or new home that you love on any budget. So you're ready? Okay, let's go. So the first tip I have is to make your home functional. Let's look at what this means. Now, a functional home is not a real estate checklist. If you're creating your own family home, its value is going to be important, of course. You know, it's a big investment. 
and it's probably your most major asset. But I see a lot of homeowners really fall into the trap of feeling that they need to have, you know, a certain number of rooms or a list of features in order for their home to be worthwhile and meaningful. So what is a functional home? Well, a functional home is a convenient home. It actually supports the daily tasks of your everyday life. One way to work through this in the design phase is actually to mentally rehearse those everyday routines and see how your home can be designed to help support them. For example, what happens when you come home with the kids in the car, you've got their bags and their lunchboxes and homework, What happens after swimming lessons and sport on Saturday, for example? How do you all head out the door in the morning? You know, where do work things get put down when you arrive home? And what happens when visitors come and they take off their shoes and put down their bags versus when you and your family come home? How's that different? When things happen as they need to, instead of feeling a frenetic level of chaos, you can actually feel calm and peaceful. Now, a functional home is organized, and one of the best ways to do this is to be really intentional about the storage design in your home. When renovating and building, homeowners are often aiming to just add more storage to their homes, but they don't think about sizing it exactly for what it's needed for. And so you just end up with a bunch of more places to hide your stuff, and that's not really helpful for your organization. So think about what needs to be on display versus what doesn't, as well as where in the home's storage will actually support specific activities or daily events or seasonal changes as well. Be really intentional about your storage design. Lastly, a functional home feels great. Now, I'm going to explain more about the ways that you can achieve this, but I always encourage homeowners when they're designing and making selections for their home to think about how they want to feel in the spaces and rooms. Having this type of focus will help give you clarity to make the right choices for you and help you feel great in your home. Now, let's move on to my next tip to creating a renovated or new home you'll love, which is to make your home comfortable. So when I talk about comfort, I'm not referring to plush sofas or lots of cushions or the shaggy throw rugs. Comfort in your home can, of course, be helped by these things, but it's not what's at the foundation of comfort in your home. A comfortable home is one that works to maintain a comfortable indoor air temperature for you year round without you having to spend a fortune on artificial heating and cooling. Creating a comfortable home starts with designing one that works with the orientation of the site. What's orientation? Well, it's about what direction a home faces in relation to the movement of the sun. So you know that our sun rises in the east and it sets in the west and in the southern hemisphere, it moves through the north as it tracks across the day. Now, when you design your home to respond to the movement of the sun and you allow natural light to come in whilst you're managing the heat of the sun based on the season, you actually access what is available for free to keep your home warm in winter and cool in summer. Natural light is scientifically proven to be necessary to our well-being, to improve our moods and to lower anxiety. And the single biggest thing that you can do to make your home feel great and you feel great in it is to design for the movement of the sun and understand orientation for your home. I teach a lot about this on Undercover Architect. There's season uh, one of the podcast and I've also got a lot of information inside my online course as well, how to get it right, because it's critical to having a home that works well. Now, a comfortable home is also one that optimises natural ventilation. Again, this is about accessing and optimising what is already available for free to create comfort in your home. You can find out information about the wind in your area on the Bureau of Meteorology's website, and this can help you protect your home from harsh storms and cold winter winds and be naturally cooled with breezes in summer as well.
Lastly, a comfortable home is one that is well insulated in the floors, the walls and the roof. And don't forget your windows. Especially when renovating, this can be one of the best things to invest in so that you improve the comfort and the performance of your home. Because many old homes aren't insulated or their insulation has broken down and it's no longer effective. You only need a five millimetre gap in your insulation to reduce its effectiveness by up to 50%. So even in new homes, this is a really big deal. Getting your insulation installed correctly is really important. Insulation does wonders to maintain your indoor air temperature and to protect you from the ranges of temperature outside of your home. And if you're putting in lots of glass windows and doors in your home, consider how you're going to insulate them as well. If you can budget for double glazing and thermally broken frames, it's a great way to get your windows to perform better. Otherwise, remember to shade them during summer and add window furnishings to help lower heat loss in winter. When you get it right with your orientation, ventilation and insulation, you can save thousands of dollars per year in the heating and cooling costs of your future home. And with electricity prices on the rise, it is such a worthwhile investment. Now that leads me on to the next way to create a renovated or new home you love, which is to make your home sustainable. Now, a sustainable home is not a high-tech, high-cost home, and it's also not a mud hut that forces you to live in a certain way without running water or electricity in order to be sustainable. Sustainability is one of those things that has lots of different meanings to different people, but the definition that I most like is this one. Sustainability focuses on meeting the needs of the present without compromising the ability of future generations to meet their needs. The concept of sustainability is composed of three pillars, economic, environmental, and social, also known informally as profits, planet and people. So a sustainable home is one that has low energy and water consumption. Did you know that 40% of a home's energy use comes from the heating and cooling component? So if you can work on the aspects that I mentioned when discussing a comfortable home, that was orientation, ventilation and insulation, then you'll go a long way to lowering the energy use of your home. In addition, look for low energy light fittings and appliances and low water consumption is also worthwhile in the tapware that you choose, whether you look to collect and reuse rain water and you can also look at grey water systems as well for things like irrigating your garden. Now next a sustainable home is low tox. It's actually really common for the indoor air quality of your home to be more polluted than the external air quality. Things like volatile organic compounds or VOCs that off gas from the paints we choose, the building materials, floor coverings and soft furnishings as well, they can all have a huge impact on our indoor air quality. So look to the types of materials and finishes that you select. There's lots of great accreditation systems and resources to help with selections and a building biologist is also a great professional to get on your team if you have chronic health conditions or allergies or you need assistance with your selections generally. Now lastly, a sustainable home is low stress. So this builds on what we've been looking at in terms of functionality, comfort and feeling great in your home. A home that works, that's designed well, it actually makes your life simpler, more convenient and more fun and it helps you to be more calm and relaxed. And this includes determining how you'll make your project more affordable and be informed and educated for the process of renovating or building so that you don't experience the stress of budget and time blowouts or the overwhelm of all the decisions and managing to pay for it all. So sustainability in a home is as much about the process of creating it as it is about the finished home itself. So let's now look at my next tip. So my next tip to creating a renovated or new home you love is to make your home family friendly. 
Now, a family-friendly home is not one that looks like only kids live there, like it's a permanent family daycare centre. It is actually possible to have a comfortable, stylish home where kids live and that you're not panicking about having them destroy something or constantly worried about their safety either. So a family-friendly home is flexible. If you're renovating or building to create your long-term family home, you're most likely going to be in it for many years to come and your family's going to grow and change over that time. Building in flexibility in your design will help your home adapt to your family's changing needs and it's also a case of giving your home flexibility so it can feel comfortable when there's only a couple of you in it through to large groups of friends and family for gatherings and celebrations. There's lots of ways that you can do this from how you size and connect rooms to each other and to the outdoors through to the types of storage and lighting that you provide. One thing that I see homeowners who are building or renovating when their children are babies or toddlers uh, is that they'll design bedrooms to be close to each other so that they can get to their kids easily in the middle of the night. However, your kids are big for a lot longer than they're little. And so designing for crawling babies or small toddlers can mean that you're making your home a difficult place to live when they're tweens or teenagers. So be a detective in watching how other families of different sizes and ages live in their homes and you'll get some great clues for what you need to anticipate in yours. Now, a family-friendly home is also durable and low maintenance. The last thing that you want to do is spend your weekends recoating, repainting and repairing things in a home that you just built or renovated. And you also don't want to be regularly replacing things that are wearing or breaking down. So choose materials and finishes that are durable and low maintenance and they'll stand the test of time. Sometimes these can be a little bit more in upfront cost. However, when you choose the cheaper item, you're basically signing up to pay for its replacement down the track. And that can get expensive if it's something that's built into your home. Family-friendly homes happily withstand the punishment and wear of everyday family life and still look great without big maintenance headaches. So choose your fixtures, finishes and materials with this in mind. Now, a family-friendly home also has a considered layout. Australians build some of the largest homes in the world, and I see a lot of homeowners building just-in-case spaces into their homes in an effort to manage and anticipate the spaces and rooms their family might need over the years that they'll be living there. However, it is possible to create great quality life in your home with a more compact floor plan, especially when the design has a considered layout. A family home basically needs spaces that you can gather together and spaces that you can be apart from each other. And that separation and connection can be provided for without needing loads of square meterage of floor area or lots and lots of rooms. Be really intentional about how you design each space and room in your future home. Test it before you build it by using methods like 3D computer modeling, drawing furniture into your floor plans, or even marking it out at one-to-one scale on your site or somewhere else like the park or a local football field. The next tip to creating a renovated or new home you love is to make your home personal. Now, a personal home is not one that you will get sick of or that will only be to your taste and no one else's. However, I do see homeowners really scared to put their own personality into their homes because they worry it won't be stylish or on trend. We have such a beautiful and unique opportunity when we build or renovate to create a home that is personal. So I wouldn't want you to miss out on on that for fear of it not measuring up to the Pinterest boards of the world. A personal home is one that is about you. It meets your needs and budget and your lifestyle requirements and it shows your personality in the way it is designed and fitted out. And it's possible to do with this without it being so polarizing it will never sell 
or being totally cookie cutter so it looks like it walked off the pages of the latest magazine. Interestingly, when I did sales displays at the development company I worked at for a long time, or we were putting our own renovation projects on the market, the aim was always to have enough personal objects and photos in the home that someone else could see how they could fit into that home, but not too many that a stranger couldn't picture themselves living there or felt alienated from the space. You'll see this with all the styled images you look at too. Making your space personal means having things around you that are personally beautiful and useful to you. It's not all about being stylish and being magazine worthy. A personal home supports your family. So I've talked a lot about this, that your family home needs to work for you. What I know from experience is that a home can be totally stylish and can look stunning. It can be amazingly built and incredibly premium finishes and fixtures. But if it's not well designed, if it's inconvenient, if it's difficult to live in, if it costs a fortune to heat and cool and generally does not support your family in its everyday life with each other, then it will be a house and not a home. A personal home is also site specific. Now, when you're renovating or building, you have this brilliant opportunity to create a home that suits your site in a custom way, where it works with the movement of the sun and it maximizes the natural assets of the site, such as as, as its breezes, where it captures the views that you want to optimize and it maintains privacy against overlooking from neighbors and the street. Now, you can take all of these things into consideration when you're renovating or building a personal home. Now we're on to my second last tip to creating a renovated or new home you love, and that is to make it budget friendly. Now a budget friendly home is not full of sacrifices. It's not a cheap or nasty one that basically means that you're going without all the things that you actually need or want in your home in order for it to be functional and fantastic. There are loads of reasons that I see projects go over and totally blow budgets and probably 99% of them are to do with not being fully prepared, educated or informed for your project. So let me go through a few of the main culprits for budget blowouts that I see. Now, a budget-friendly home, especially when renovating, is one that recognises the existing costs of the project. So what do I mean by this? Well, there is work that has to be done on homes over time in order for them to be maintained and to keep them being safe and comfortable to live in. And when I see homeowners renovating an old home, they'll often say, for example, well, whilst we're renovating and extending, we'll also replace the roof because it needs replacing and we'll deal with the asbestos. The wiring also all needs upgrading and we'll need a new meter board to accommodate the upgrade wiring and of course the hot water unit needs replacing and sometimes this list goes on and on and so they'll design their renovation and extension they'll get it priced as well as all of that upgrading replacement and maintenance work that the old house needs the quote will come back and what I see homeowners do is they say it's costing that much and we're only getting this much renovation it's just not worth it but they forget that wrapped up in that price are all the costs of maintaining and upgrading the existing home in order to make it livable, durable and safe. Now the same happens in new builds where homeowners don't get an understanding of the price involved in levelling their site or doing retaining and excavation work ready for building or providing the services they need to support the house being there. It's essential to get a handle on the existing costs involved in making your renovation or new build happen so that you can budget into your overall project costs effectively. Now, a budget-friendly home also uses a design strategy. So what do I mean by this? Well, many homeowners will dive into the design of their new home or renovation by arranging rooms and spaces like boxes on a page and figuring out how the future house needs to be laid out. 
However, to enable you to stretch your budget effectively, it's better to work out how you will design your home first. So this can include determining who you'll work with and what professionals you'll invest in to assist you in your project. And it's also in looking at how you'll go about the design of your new home or renovation. So for renovating, if you understand that renovating will always cost more on a square metre rate than building new because it's one off, it's labour intensive and it's time consuming. Old homes can also be a Pandora's box of surprises and unexpected costs when you start pulling them apart. So in a renovation design strategy, you want to look at how you can leave the existing house alone as much as possible and look to reconfigure the existing space for a better layout and then optimise on new build efficiencies when extending the home without having to pull apart the existing house in order to add on the extension. For a new home, it's really important that you figure out what avenue of building you'll be able to choose based on your budget. Building an off-the-plan home with a project builder or metric like Metricon or Plantation is not necessarily cheaper than building a custom home when you know how to choose the right builder and the team to work with. So design strategy is essential in creating a budget-friendly home. I actually teach a lot more about these specific design strategies for both new homes and renovations inside my online course, How to Get It Right, because I find that the design design strategy, actually how you approach your design, is often missing from the process for many homeowners when they go about their building or renovation project. Now lastly, a budget-friendly home recognises that quality over quantity improves your everyday life every time. So if you want your project to cost less, then build less. It's as simple as that. I see homeowners asking in free online forums, is it possible to build a four bed, two car, two and a half bath, two living home for under $350,000? Yes, it is still possible, believe it or not, but your choices will be limited. The home will not be very durable and you'll have to make massive compromises in how specifically it suits your site and your family. Now, when renovating and building, look at where your investment will make the most significant difference to your everyday life. What I see, especially with renovating, is that when an old home gets a fantastic living kitchen dining space with a great connection to an outdoor room or our fresco area, it totally transforms the quality of life in the home and the way the homeowners feel about their home overall, even though the bedrooms might still be small and the bathrooms still old fashioned. Okay, so let's move on to my last tip in how to create a renovated and new home you love on any budget. And this is make your home memorable. Now with this tip, I want to explain this a little bit differently by sharing some personal stories because what I've really seen accelerate, particularly in the last decade of people renovating and building, is this need to create a really styled magazine worthy home. However, what I know of how we live in and use and love our homes from almost 25 years of doing this professionally, it's it's not that which causes us to fall in love with our homes. Yes, our initial satisfaction in creating a finished, renovated or new, beautiful home may be in the way that it's styled. You know, the new furniture that we've been able to purchase, the fact that the rooms are all beautifully coordinated and they're potentially not filled with the furniture that you've been carting around and collecting since you first moved out of home. Many homeowners see their renovation or new build as an opportunity to clean slate their home, to almost feel like a grown-up in how it's decked out with furniture and styling of their choosing, rather than the hand-me-down pieces or the mishmash of items that you've simply hung on to over the years. However, in my experience, this clean slate, magazine-worthy effort of creating our long-term family homes is not what creates our long-term love affairs with our homes. It's instead 
how we feel in them and how they help us feel in our lives. And it's about the people that they help us be as we head out into the world each day. So let me explain a little bit further with some examples. I'd love to tell you about the house that I grew up in. Now, if you'd like to see a photo of it, please head to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash home you love. So that's the words home, you, Y-O-U, love, all, all together, undercoverarchitect.com forward slash home you love. And I'll pop that in the show notes and you'll see uh, the blog for this episode and a photo of the house that I grew up in. Now, I warn you, it is not much to look at design wise, but it taught me a huge amount about home design, things that I still use every day in my work. My parents got divorced when I was about eight and my mum, my brother and I moved to this house and it was a small three bedroom house with one bathroom. It had a combined living dining area and it had a kitchen and a laundry on the back of it and there was another toilet inside the laundry. And the back of the house looked out through one big picture window to the back garden. Now, my mum's always been a bit of a serial renovator and she was determined to find a home that was north facing to rear. That was one of her most significant criteria in looking for this house. And uh, and that's what she found in this home. And my bedroom was in this little built-in veranda space on the front of the home. It was so tiny. But I lived there until I was 23 and I managed to fit. My brother had the biggest bedroom. That was on the rear of the house. I actually uh, think my mum put him there because you didn't have to walk past that door to that bedroom as you walked in the home. So she didn't have to worry about people seeing the mess. Uh, But I think that's now why I work so hard to always design equal size bedrooms for kids in any home that I work on because of how much disparity there was in mine and my brother's bedrooms and how much it bothered me growing up. And we couldn't swap because my mum wanted the nice curtains on the front of the house. Now, the bathroom was at the end of the main entry hallway and the toilet was the first thing that you'd see when you'd open the door. So mum was forever yelling at us to shut the bathroom door because if it was open and you answered the front door, you you know, somebody would look straight over your shoulder down the hallway and at the toilet. And again, this is probably why I'm always trying to design bathrooms with the toilet behind the door. And this is what I teach as well. Now, when I was in my teens, my mum added an extension onto the back of the house and it was super simple. It was a rectilinear room that housed a combined casual living dining area and a second bathroom. The house itself sat about 1.4 metres out of the ground, so mum stepped the extension down to have a stronger connection to the rear garden, but she kept the ceiling running through at the same height. So It was quite a high ceiling in the extension and it added to that sense of spaciousness as you move from the old part of the house into the new extension because you got this kind of sense of everything expanding. There were glass sliding doors uh, in the extension that opened out on the northern side onto a paved area and that was covered with a pergola and she couldn't afford to put anything else down but carpet. Uh, but that made it super comfortable and she couldn't afford to roof the pergola. So she grew a deciduous vine over it and it got pretty dense in summer. So in summer we could have protection from light showers and lots and lots of shade. And then in winter, all of the leaves would drop and it would let all this beautiful winter sunlight in and directly into the extension. Now, 
my mum is now in her 70s and she still renovates homes. She loves to do low-cost makeovers, looking at how she can spruce up a kitchen by replacing bench tops and cupboard fronts or, you know, paint and new floor coverings and new lighting and how she can she can just completely transform a home. And you can imagine being a single woman in her 70s, she's had her own fair share of dealing with surprise tradespeople and uh, some interesting reactions. This house that I grew up in, though, it felt great. This rear extension that mum added on, it was always a great temperature. It worked with the movement of the sun so beautifully. It was uh, solid on the western side. It really sheltered us from that afternoon hot summer sun, but it opened up to the north and the east and just let lovely sunlight in in the winter and shaded us in summer. And it was where we spent so much time together as a family because it had this great indoor-outdoor connection. It felt larger than it was. It handled big gatherings. I had my 21st at home and it was spilling out with people through to it just being the three of us. And, you know, mum did cosmetic work to the rest of the house over time. She liked to change the colour scheme every few years, uh, both inside and outside. I'd often arrive home to find her upper ladder painting again. And my mum's only five foot tall, five foot and half an inch. Sorry, mum, forgot the half an inch. Uh, actually, I think she's shrinking as she gets older. But <laughs> anyway, and um she would often be up the top of the ladder and she would have me down the bottom painting and I'd often go to school on a Monday morning with paint drops in my hair. But the bones of this house, they were so livable and they were so functional and they provided a great container for our everyday lives. Now, I moved out of this home when I was 22 years old and since then I've lived in 14 different houses, both here and overseas, uh, including the house that we're in now. And many of these houses I have tried to forget (laughs) because they were dark, they were uncomfortable, they were cold in winter, they were hot in summer, they were really dysfunctional to live in, really, just really inconvenient. And I found that they impacted my mood in a really negative way. I found that there were houses, uh, particularly when the kids were little and we would be renovating and renting or, uh, you know, something like that. And it would just be my mission to get out of that house every morning. I'd be bundling up the kids Uh, sticking everyone in the car and prams and I'd be getting us to a park or somewhere where we could be out in sunshine because I really didn't enjoy being at home and you know these homes were inconvenient they were poorly arranged really disconnected from the garden you know if one of the kids wanted to go outside we all had to nothing else could happen while one kid was playing you couldn't get anything else done because you couldn't see them it was just incredibly frustrating and you know when you think about all the other homes uh, that you visit and you spend time in over your lifetime There are lots of places to think about when it comes to homes, places that we may have loved spending time in or places that we may have loathed spending time in. Now, I have, I'm really fortunate that I've still have got friends now that I had when I was five and I, you know, think of the times that I've spent hanging out in their family homes a lot as a child. And of course, there's friends, you know, through university as well. Architecture is the kind of degree where you spend a lot of time with your fellow students and I hung out at my university friends' homes a lot. The homes that stand out with me in all of those memories, the ones that I still remember really fondly, I know now in hindsight that they've got some really specific things in common. With all of these homes, I don't remember a lot about the finishes and the fixtures and the soft furnishings. You know, I doubt that they are on trend. I remember my childhood friends, my one of my closest girlfriends who I still very who's still my closest girlfriend and I've known since I was five years old, and her family home 
the uh, the main sort of TV space actually had tartan carpet because the dad her dad was insistent on having this tartan carpet, and it was just hilarious, um, but definitely not on trend. <laughs> and I, you know, but when I think back about these homes, and I really encourage you to do this as well, to think about the homes that you've spent time in, that you've grown up in, that you've, you know, perhaps have had a family friend, and you just happen to spend a lot of time at that home. Think about the ones that you really love, that you really have a lot of happy memories from, or that you get a really warm, fuzzy feeling about. You know, for me, I know for certain that the homes that really resonate with me, they were packed full of personality that was specific to each family's lifestyle, culture, and way of living. And the standout enjoyable ones, I remember they were light-filled. They felt fantastic to be in. You know, as an adult, I now know that they were working with the orientation of the site, being an architect, it's an occupational hazard. I've, I've actually looked back on maps to see what direction these houses faced to actually anchor what it was that was making them feel so lovely. You know, they had lovely indoor-outdoor connections. They they had been created, you know, with what was naturally available or the owners had invested time and effort in beautiful garden spaces and there were simple, flexible spaces that could expand to contain different numbers of people as required. You know, these were functional, comfortable, sustainable, family-friendly, budget-friendly, personal and clearly they were memorable homes. This is the thing. A memorable home is memorable because of how it makes you feel. And when you live and spend time in a home that feels great and that you feel great in, it has a transformational effect on your everyday life long term. It's actually astounding what an impact it can have and how dramatically it can change who you are in the world. So how can you create a memorable home? Well, for me, what I see is a memorable home is in alignment. It's in alignment with you, with your values, with your goals for your everyday life and your long-term future. It's in alignment with what you want to teach your kids about what you prioritize and what you hold important. And it's in alignment with the type of lifestyle that you want to lead both in your home and beyond it. A memorable home isn't about it being magazine worthy or super stylish. And I've got a quote that I've actually read on the podcast before because I think that this quote is incredible. It sums up beautifully uh, this idea for me and it's by a woman named Gabrielle Stanley Blair. She's an American blogger and she's a designer known as the Design Mum and she's got six kids and she firmly believes that it's possible to have a well-designed home that makes you smile and that your kids can relax and be themselves in. And she wrote uh, a New York best time, a New York Times bestseller book called Design Mum, How to Live with Kids, a room-by-room guide. And in it, she said this quote, and this for me totally sums up why we renovate and build our homes and why we're trying to create, uh, you know, what we're, and what we're trying to create for our families when we do renovate or build. So let me read this to you. You care about creating a wonderful space where your family can thrive and making a beautiful, happy home is not about what we don't have or what we want to buy. It's all about what we do have and how incredibly priceless it all is. It's about how we spend the days we're given with this family of ours and making the home we share a place our kids will love to describe to our grandchildren. It's about making our kids' memories delightful. So, How do you figure this out for your future home? How do you figure out what will really suit you and your family and what's ultimately important? I always recommend that homeowners ask themselves this question about their projects. What am I seeking to achieve? So what am I seeking to achieve by renovating or building this family home? 
it can be a tricky question, but when you start to dig a little, I think you'll find that you start to get some clarity around answering that question. And when you have that clarity, it can bring focus and intention to everything that is part of creating your renovated or new home. And it can really help you stay on track throughout your project. So let's wrap up. What were my seven top tips for creating a renovated or new home that you love on any budget? So the first was to make it functional. The second was to make it comfortable. Third, make it sustainable. Number four, make it family friendly. Number five, make it personal. Number six, make it budget friendly. And number seven, make it memorable. In the almost 25 years I've been working with homeowners in designing, building and renovating their family homes, I know that this is how you create a home that works, feels great and that you feel great in. And that's what enables you to have a home that relaxes and restores you and sends you out into the world each day as the best possible version of yourself. Now, before I go, I set up the front that I had some news about my online program, How to Get It Right. So if you're listening to this live, just make sure you stay tuned if you're listening to this before the 1st of October, uh, because I want to share some information with you about it. Now, if you'd like some more help and support in designing, building and renovating your home, How to Get It Right. Uh, is an online program that's a really fantastic way you can get properly prepared and be supported with guidance, knowledge and tools so that you can get it right in your future home and in the journey that you take to create it. So how to get it right in your reno or new home is perfect if you're still thinking about renovating or building or perhaps you're doing your research and you're getting prepared. It's radically going to streamline your process and help you not waste any time or money. And it's also perfect if you're about to start designing or you've already got your design underway, whether you're working on it yourself or you're working with a designer or directly with a builder. So if you're listening to this podcast at the time of release, uh, I'm going to share with you that how to get it right is actually increasing in price on the 1st of October 2019. So that's really soon and uh, it'll be going up in price. We've been adding new Q&A sessions. We've got expert interviews in there. It continues to be an incredible program that really helps homeowners get ready for their reno or new build. There's no expiry. There's a monthly live Q&A session with me. There's a raft of know-how, checklists, tools and a proven system. It's saves far, far more in stress and time and money than uh, the cost of joining the program. So how to get it right is my own proven step-by-step system and it takes you through the four stages of any build or renovation project. So the first stage is before you begin designing and we look at the things that you need to do to get yourself prepared to find your team and to avoid delays later. The second stage is getting your design right. And in that, we dive into what are the core fundamentals of creating a great family home, how to get clear on what you need and want, and then being able to communicate those things to the people that need to know. The third stage is before you build, and we look at getting your approvals, ensuring your quotes are accurate, and all the things that you need to do before construction so that you don't have huge variations and budget blowouts on site. And lastly, we look at getting your project built, and that steps you through choosing your builder and then sets up the process for great communication on site, as well as maintaining your systems and your records during that time. Hundreds and hundreds of homeowners have done this online program and they've found it super helpful in arming them with the knowledge and the resources that they need to be confident in their project. And more than one member has told me that they've been asked what part of the industry they're from because they know how to ask great questions and have informed conversations with their potential team members. 
it's one architect who actually had a client that had done this program unbeknownst to him has now started endorsing it to his other clients because he has found that it's made such a significant difference to uh, this client's journey and to how she's able to participate and work with him and other team members in the project. So this program is all about helping you move simply and and effectively and efficiently through your project, saving time, money and stress along the way. What I love most is hearing from homeowners about how much more relaxed they are about their projects, the improvement it's made to their mental health, uh, to their, you know, to their sleep, to their stress levels. You know, they still know that there'll be challenges and hiccups along the way, but they know that they've got the tools and the knowledge that they need to be able to uh, manage their project really well. And this may sound a little woo-woo, but how you show up in your renovation or new build project, it'll totally impact the results that you get. And so if you want to show up as an informed and super savvy homeowner then getting educated is key and how to get it right will simplify this for you as I take you through my own step-by-step system and I've got checklists and guides and loads of information to help you along the way so if you've been listening to the Undercover Architect podcast for a while, you've known about this course and you've been sitting on the fence uh, about joining, or perhaps this is the first time that you're hearing about it and you want to beat the price rise that happens on the 1st of October, then make sure that you grab the opportunity to access it now. And if you head to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash get it right, you'll be able to see more information about the program and be able to join. Now, Uh, and I'll pop that link in the show notes as well. So in the next episode, which is coming next week, believe it or not, we're going to be kicking off a brand new season. Now, I don't want to say too much, but if you're struggling with all the decisions and choices that you have to make about the interior design items for your renovation or new home, and you want to know what will ultimately help your home be durable, comfortable, affordable, and look great, you are going to love, love, love this upcoming season. So make sure you tune in next week, and I'm going to be introducing the season to you and telling you all about what's in store. So head to the show notes. You'll see links to be able to see a picky of my childhood home uh, and you'll be able to check out how to get it right and see if you'd like to join. I know that I would love to get to know you better and be able to support you in your journey towards that future home that you're dreaming of and how to get it right is definitely the way for us to be able to do that together. So until next time, thanks for listening and letting me be your secret ally. Bye. Bye.